This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. India has surpassed the United States for the world's highest number of daily COVID-19 infections for at least five days in a row. The world's largest democracy documented at least 350,000 new cases of infection up from about 10,000 new cases just a few months ago. Hospitals are struggling with shortages of oxygen as thousands are dying each day. The government, which is likely undercounting deaths, has faced strong criticism and has now asked Twitter to remove all tweets critical of the government. The social media company has acquiesced, removing dozens of tweets from prominent critics. Meanwhile, U.S. President Joe Biden is facing pressure from India and others to waive global patents for vaccines at the World Trade Organization in order to tackle the crisis in the Southern Hemisphere. Mr. Biden has responded by promising to send vaccine supplies. We go now to India to speak with Amandeep Sandhu. He's a novelist and essayist based in Bangalore. He has written for Caravan Scroll, The Hindu, The Hindu Business Line, and other publications. He's also been closely following not just the pandemic, but the farmers' protests in India that started late last year when he first joined us. Welcome back to the program, Amandeep. Thank you so much for calling me over. So we'll talk about the farmers' protest in a little bit, but let's start with the, the latest and worst disaster. It was just a few months ago that India was being hailed as one of the success stories in the pandemic as the virus seemed in control, at least. It wasn't uh, as out of control, like a raging fire as it is now. Why? Do you, do you have a sense of why things are so out of control, why we're seeing such unprecedented numbers of infections? Complacency, one word it is that. Arrogance, policy paralysis, no efforts from the government to learn from the last year, and a lot, I don't know what to call it, but the government has been, the government and the party which forms the government has been extremely irresponsible about various things. For example, conducting elections during this pandemic time, now, elections are necessary for a democracy, but the way in one state the elections have been extended into eight phases, when the national elections two years back was just seven phases. So why is such so much contact with public? And what do you want to do? You want to create huge rallies, huge people coming together, and naturally the pandemic will spread there. The virus hasn't gone away. Second thing is allowing the Kumbh Mela, which is a very, very important Hindu festival, and we all understand that. Um, but 3.5 million devotees gathered together to take bath in the Ganga, in the Ganges. And this is completely irresponsible, I personally feel. Another big gathering that has been going on, and you mentioned farmers' protest, is that. But five months and no solutions. Again, there will be super spreader events. The, the Bengal elections and the Kumbh Mela certainly show up to be that. The farmers' protests actually are not that. But the government has been completely responsible with allowing these kind of large gatherings to happen. What about the just basic safety precautions, such as testing and mask mandates, etc.? Everything is in words. Nothing happens on the ground. This morning, our health minister said that we are better prepared to handle the pandemic than last year. And you are seeing 
the preparation. You're seeing the result of it. You know, it is just lip service to everything and not doing anything on the ground. In the Kumbh Mela, they said that everybody will need to do the RT-PCR test, but then it was waved off and people just gathered there. In the Bengal election rallies, the prime minister himself is saying, I'm so glad to see so many lakhs of people turning up for my rallies. I mean, is that something a responsible prime minister will say? Because the pandemic is still very much here. It hasn't gone away. It reminds me of President Donald Trump here in the United States last year, who encouraged uh, gatherings uh, as he was running for election and um, took the size of crowds as a measure of his popularity and really you know, didn't seem to care about the spread of COVID. Let's talk about the issue of vaccinations. I mean, India has its own vaccine that it developed uh, called Covaxin, and then it's also deploying Covishield, which is another name for the AstraZeneca vaccine. If it has access to these two vaccines, why does it need, you know, why is it falling short of vaccines? And how far has it gone in its journey to vaccinating this incredibly large population? There are two vaccines in India. One is indigenous. Uh, called uh, Covaxin, and the other one is the Oxford vaccine, which is the AstraZeneca vaccine. Uh, the the Covaxin hasn't taken hasn't had many takers. I mean, if you look at how many vaccinated, and I think Covaxin is around ten percent. Abysmally low percentage of people have been vaccinated till now. India is a very very large country, very diverse country. You know, so when they give numbers of how many are vaccinated, it seems big. But in terms of percentage of population, it has been very, very limited. I think about 2% until now, you know. But coming back to the vaccines, the, the first vaccine hasn't had many takers. It hasn't even been exported much. The second vaccine, India is um, a manufacturer of vaccines, you know, like all work has come to these Asian countries in the last few decades. Vaccine production, medicine production has also come to India. So India manufactures vaccines for everybody. Among them, the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine is the one we are talking about. I personally believe that this is a global pandemic and any country that needs vaccines needs to get them and wherever they are being produced. So I don't hold that against India that you gave vaccines to other countries. What I hold against it is that you didn't prepare for yourself. If you look at the first orders that were played for the placed for the vaccines, various countries were placing huge amounts of orders. India was not placing them. And nobody can explain why you didn't do it. You know, vaccines are also controlled by international treaties. Now EU is going to file cases against AstraZeneca for not delivering in time. But the reason is this, that you did not prepare Astra, you did not build the capability of the companies, the Serum Institute of India, to build these vaccines, to send these many vaccines to these countries. This should have been done on war footing, but it was not done. Let's talk about the farmers' protests that started last year in response to a couple of uh, privatization laws uh, that were intended to privatize agriculture uh, in many ways sort of based on the model here in the United States that has devastated uh, our domestic farmers. And we have a lengthy conversation on our website with my guest Amandeep Sandhu about the details of those laws. Those protests um, where farmers gathered in 
the capital Delhi and essentially occupied areas and remained there for months are still continuing. Tell me if it's something like a, a more than 150 days now. What is the status of these protests? Are the numbers as high in terms of the people that, that uh, you know, basically upped and came to Delhi to occupy it? Are the numbers as high as they were before? Have they slowed down a little bit? We spoke in December. At that time, the numbers were around um, 150,000 people to 200,000 people. They increased massively for January 26th. They were planning a huge tractor parade, uh, which has its own story that happened to it. At that time, it became actually 500, 600,000 people. Then it came down. Uh, and during the harvest season, which is March end and early April, the numbers were really low because farmers had returned back to their villages to harvest the wheat. But then of late, they have been gathering. I think at now there must be around 15,000 farmers on site. And all farmers can really gather there within six to eight hours notice. I mean, so that is something that they've understood now. Um, there are entire processes within villages on how to send farmers, whom to send at what point, the roasters are being maintained. So, so those, that, that protest is on. But from the government side, there have been no talks, absolutely no talks for the last three months. And that shows you the attitude of the government. It is apathetic. It does not want to talk to the farmers. And what, what choice do the farmers have at this point? You know, the farm laws will kill them in the next few years. And God forbid, heavens forbid, if the virus comes, it will kill them quickly. Death is on both sides. What do they do? You mentioned so they that given up. They, they are just there and they are not retreating. They are not backing up. They are saying, if we do that, then we are gone. You mentioned earlier that uh, the farmers' protests can't not be, are not linked to the spread of the virus. Why is that? I've been talking to some doctors when I was covering them Earlier in last two months back, I was asking doctors, and there's, there were two or three reasons at that point. One was that uh, the virus was waning in the country anyway. Uh, second, and I think that is the most important reason, is because they are open air, you know, and that has now been proven scientifically also that uh, it does not spread so much in open air situations than it spreads in closed doors. Uh, you remember the, the U.S. BLM protests also happened. The virus didn't spread there. You know? so also, I people were pretty good just... about masking and wearing masks, although some of the photographs that I see of the farmers' protests, I'm not, I don't see people making an attempt to, to wear masks, and they are closely congregated with one another. Yes, they are, but you see... If you just get into their shoes and you try to see what's happening, first of all, the farmers are not a monolith. There are various unions. They have different views about the pandemic itself. We must remember this is all happening within a huge trust deficit. So for many, like in the US, the pandemic itself does not exist, though, of course, the numbers now show us that it exists. You know, But the farmer leaders have taken different positions on it. The second is five months and actually seven months because I started in Punjab in early October, you've been out of your homes, you've been protesting. And then suddenly you are told that this virus is on the loose and it will kill you. 
you know, it it's not good psychology to tell them suddenly get scared of the virus. Changes are happening inside the protests. There are some leaders who are encouraging masking, there are physical distancing, they're encouraging, they're encouraging the vaccination, testing, but it's not happening at the scale at which we want to look, see them, it happen there. But that's the reason why like you can't suddenly scare people away from the protest. Right. The second, as you mentioned that they, they second have reason is few very, options. very critical. Yeah. Second is very critical. The way, uh, what do we call it? Outside elements enter the protest and try to sabotage it from within. You know, masking will allow that to happen much more easily. They have to be careful. So you're worried you about infiltrators? infiltrators and the government is the infiltrator that is exactly what happened on 26 january so it is a very difficult <clears throat> it is a razor's edge for them and they are trying to do it the best they can and i think we should let them decide how they want to do it cases of the virus have not come from the farmers protest let me go back to the Modi government's handling of the pandemic. Last year, when the uh, pandemic was first declared, the Modi government came under strong criticism for having a um, massive and very strict lockdown without much um, notice, leaving millions of migrant workers stranded. There were people who likely died of starvation rather than the virus. Uh, and, uh, you know, now with the Modi government's, as you called it, paralysis earlier, is the government in a tough place with a country as poor and as large as India that in some ways you're damned if you do and damned if you don't? Or has the government, you know, failed in, in, in doing even common sense things? Of course, it is at a very tough place, but it does not believe it is in a tough place. It just believes in handling the narrative and spinning it around. And Such just as getting to... rid of critics on Twitter. Yes, that and many other things. Like right now, there is a new thing that has started, which is that the right-wingers are saying, oh, it is not good manners to put pictures of cremations on, on the internet. You know? I mean, the cremations are actually showing you how underreported are the deaths. And similarly, how underreported are the number of cases that we are talking about. You know, this morning, a newspaper in Delhi put out a picture of a cremation ground and said in the caption under it that official numbers are seven cremations, but 40 took place by 8 p.m. And there are another 40 waiting. So you can easily see that the number of deaths just by this, I mean, I do not like extrapolating, but there are many times more than what is being reported. So, you know, so uh, the government has failed on all accounts. It is, I mean, the biggest one is this oxygen depletion that has happened in the country. And they, this in spite of this sanctioning overall 262 oxygen plants, first of all, they took six months to sanction them. Even when they sanctioned them last October, only 11 plants have come up. So the country's hospitals are running out of oxygen. There are people who might have survived, we're hearing, that have died simply because of the uh, lack of oxygen. What about international aid? Uh, I mentioned that the Biden administration here in the United States is sending some supplies. Does the international community bear responsibility as well? 
I think everybody, this is a pandemic again, I believe. Any part of the world that suffers, we all suffer because what do we really want? We want to get back to the pre-pandemic days. We want freedoms, right? So any place in the world where the virus erupts and causes such disaster has to be contained. And of course, there has been aid coming in from in for India, Singapore sent, UAE sent, the European Union is sending oxygen. Um, Biden government, well, you know, there, I have a little right now. Yeah, it is doing what it is expected to do. But until three days back, it wasn't doing that. You know, Trump had invoked the Defense Protection Act, which actually forbids sending 37 ingredients which vaccines need. And there was a short supply of them. The vaccines could not be made in time. Now they are saying, yeah, 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 we will send it. Well, thank you. But it's late. Right. Well, Amandeep, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Where can people read your writings? You've been um, very regularly writing reports about the farmers' protests. Well, I normally use social media, but I make a mirror of it on my website, www.amandeepsandhu.com. You know, many people are going to it to look at. Now they are going to it to look at, oh, what happened on day 10? What happened on day 20th? So you've written a history, if you will, of the protests. In some ways, yes. But these protests are way bigger than anyone to document it. And I'm just saying what I can say about it. Well, I want to thank you so much. And we'll post a link to your website from our site. Good luck to you. Stay safe out there. Thank you so much. My guest has been Amandeep Sandhu, novelist and essayist based in Bangalore, India. He's written for Caravan Scroll, The Hindu, The Hindu Business Line, and other publications. We've been discussing India's pandemic disaster and the ongoing farmers' protests. I'm Sonali Kolhatkar. We're online at risingupwithsonali.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter, find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify.